Welcome to Creep Time with Silas Dean. Today we are covering the case. This is the case of all cases. This is the mysterious death of Elisa Lamb. This story has been told, I can't even tell you how many times, but it's interesting to me that people routinely come back to it. Everybody wants to rehear this and retell this and kind of rehash the sort of circumstances that played out here. I think that people are drawn to retelling this story because it's been diced up so many different ways. It covers all of these different genres. You know, there are people who really believe this is a classic unsolved true crime case, and then there are people who believe it's just a horrible accident, and then there are people who believe that this is, you know, driven by paranormal evidence, and it kind of covers all the bases, which is why I think people are continually drawn into it. They want answers as to what happened to Elisa Lamb. To be honest, I'm less interested in the subjective elements of this case. I know there is this massive conversation around the sensationalism of the infamous elevator footage, but I'm not as interested in kind of picking apart, you know, what was going on with her in, in terms of her mental state or what exactly we're seeing in the elevator footage. It's, it's all very subjective to me. I'm more so drawn to the story based on the concrete evidence that doesn't add up. I mean, the roof access, for example. How did she get up onto the roof? How did she get onto the roof without sounding the alarm? I mean, and everything that unfolded while she was up there, that's interesting to me because it happened. We know these things happened and they've never fully been explained by anyone. I'm gonna get into everything about Elisa. We are gonna cover who she was and what exactly happened in the days leading up to her death. But before I do get into that, if you could give a like and a comment below, that's really, really gonna help Creep Time out. And I would also love it if you could subscribe to the channel. That's gonna help the channel grow a lot faster, I promise you guys. And if you wanna stay in the know for any time that I post a new video, you can also hit the notification bell. That way you are the first to hear whenever I post new Creep content. It's also Christmas time, so I have a lot of free time right now, so I feel like I've just been churning out additional content on TikTok. So for anybody who's not following me on there, if you want to, you can do so right at Creep Time. I have a ton of videos on there as well. All right, let's dive in. To this. So first, let's cover who Elisa Lam was. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Lisa was a 21-year-old college student. She was from Canada, studying at the University of British Columbia. One of the clearest windows we have into who Elisa was prior to the events that happened was her blog. She ran a blog where she would often talk about her interest in fashion and design. You know, she was sharing a lot of different pictures of clothing, of different models, and she was also having kind of an open dialogue with readers, you know. She was very candid about her different struggles with mental illness, as well as being diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression. It's also been noted in quite a bit of the reporting that just a couple of years into her blog, she ends up talking about how how she had a bit of a relapse with her struggles with mental illness, and this had caused her to draw back a bit from pursuing her education. She can't quite handle the course load that she once could. At some point, she does kind of abandon that blog, right? So we kind of lose that window or that channel into her train of thought and where she was at mentally just before these events. But early in the year, we're talking January 2013, 
Elisa embarks on a solo trip of the US. She's traveling through different parts of California, mostly by Amtrak as well as bus. And she's sort of making her way down south and she's eventually gonna end up in Los Angeles. Elisa was pretty close with her parents too. You know, she was kind of calling them every single day on this trip. So that at least gave us a bit of a play-by-play. -play. So we do know the exact date of when she arrived to Los Angeles. She gets into town on January 26th. So this is also the first day that Elisa checks into the Cecil Hotel, and to kind of put that on the map, it's technically in downtown Los Angeles, but it's kind of an unusual location. I used to work near the Cecil, so to put it in context, it's right down the middle, you know, where the halfway point of Skid Row is, and then the other side of it is the financial district, so contextually, it's just in a very unusual space. But something interesting about her check-in is that just after two days of being in the Cecil, Elisa's actually initially placed in kind of a hostel room, right? So she has multiple roommates, it's almost like a bunk bed situation, but she's removed by hotel staff after numerous reports of kind of odd and unusual behavior. Behavior that the roommates couldn't explain and they were becoming fearful of. So as a way to kind of pacify the situation, hotel staff ends up moving Elisa on day two to a private room. But it's a couple of days into the stay where things start to go wrong. And we know this because on February 1st, 2013, her parents become alarmed because she had been in contact with them every single day. And then for an unknown reason, she abruptly stops. This was also the day that Elisa was supposed to check out of the Cecil Hotel, so hotel staff becomes alarmed as well, so the parents are alerted as the emergency contact, the LAPD is informed, and Elisa is technically a missing person at this point, so her parents fly into Los Angeles. So if we're talking about witness accounts here, and some of the last people who might have seen Elisa leading up to this disappearance, there was actually a manager of a nearby bookstore known as The Last Bookstore, which is pretty well known, who claims to have seen her just a day or two prior. You know, she recalled that Elisa was outgoing, she was very friendly, and they even kind of had a, a really, you know, nice back and forth where they were talking about a different book that Elisa was considering buying. She wanted to pick up different books as gifts so she could bring them back to family and friends, but she was concerned that if she picked up a book that was too heavy, it would just be too much to cart around during her travels. I find this exchange kind of odd because it's so seemingly normal. And to me, it doesn't really align with this sort of narrative that we've been fed with just a couple of days prior for when she initially checked in and she, there are complaints of the odd behavior, so she's moved to a different room. These seem like two totally different people. So that's kind of our first clue in that something's going on with her, something that maybe her family and friends weren't fully clued in on regarding her mental health issues. So police are able to conduct a search of the Cecil Hotel to a certain extent. They're allowed to search her room and they end up searching different parts of the hallways, they bring in trace canines, and what's odd about this, as we get a little deeper into the story, we find out that prior to the discovery of Elisa, they had actually brought the canines up onto the roof of the hotel they had never picked up her scent. The LAPD is kind of lost with this one. I mean, there's really no evidence that they're leading off of, and if a trace canine can't even track her scent and where she might have gone, they realize about a week into this that they need to really reevaluate their efforts here and they need to crack down on what happened to Elisa Lamb. But this is when one of the most infamous pieces of evidence would surface from the Cecil Hotel. We get our first look into the elevator footage, which is believed to be the last known sighting of Elisa Lamb on the night she died. The camera footage is exactly two and a half minutes long, and it initially shows Elisa Lamb kind of entering the elevator in a bit of a rushed state. 
it's almost as if she's running from someone or then she appears to be hiding, but it's not really known why or what she might have been running from. We then see her kind of pressing all of the buttons of the elevator, but again, we don't really know why. This is all an unknown and it's just kind of tossed up to unusual, strange behavior. We then see her kind of sticking her head in and out of the elevator and she's looking side to side and then she moves back in and then she goes back out and she's kind of gesticulating and moving her hands through the air as if she's talking to someone or if she's trying to touch something that's not there. Something that she sees that we don't. This footage quickly became sensationalized in the media as the search for Elisa continued as it was incredibly distressing, very odd, and you know, although a lot of people have tossed this up to mental illness, there are a lot of others who believe that there was something else going on here. Could there have been someone who was actually chasing after her? Could there have been someone she was legitimately talking to or that she saw? Was this something that was paranormal, or was this just kind of a cut-and-dry hallucination? We don't really know the answers to it, and I don't really know if the discussion of it will lead us any further. I think the most logical explanation here is that what we were witnessing was some kind of a psychosis, some sort of a psychotic break that was resulting in severe hallucinations. Hallucinations that most likely played into the end of her life. But if we are talking about this in a rational context, Again, I am interested in the concrete evidence here, and what has been said and confirmed by the Cecil themselves is that this footage, when released, for some reason, intentionally had the timestamp of the video kind of blocked out. They had also slowed down different portions of it, which we can mostly kind of toss up to, you know, maybe they were trying to review certain things in uh, more of a detail-oriented way, so they wanted to slow down that footage. But they also noted that there were parts of this video that had been removed. We don't really know why, or what purpose that would serve, but that is something that has been confirmed multiple times over by the hotel in different statements. But all of this was leading up to the eventual discovery of Elisa Lamb's body. So a couple of weeks prior, different guests of the Cecil Hotel had been complaining about issues with water pressure, and water in general. They were saying the showers were low, they were saying the faucets weren't running correctly, and then different people were complaining that tap water was kind of tasting strange, and a lot of tourists are, you know, chalking this up to saying, well, it's city water, and then at certain points, water is running brown, and overall, there are just issues plumbing-related to the Cecil Hotel, so this gets back to hotel maintenance. This is all kind of going on while the investigation for Elisa is still unfolding, but at this point, LAPD has kind of withdrawn their interest from the Cecil Hotel because, again, they didn't find anything. There was no real evidence aside from that elevator footage that could have suggested that she was still in or near the Cecil Hotel. But all of that changes in relation to the problems with the water. So eventually when word gets back to hotel maintenance about the water issues, this would lead them up to the roof of the hotel so they can inspect the water towers. So hotel maintenance worker Santiago Lopez ends up being the one who's gonna go and check the water towers on the roof. So while he's traveling to the roof access point, which is locked by keycard for hotel employees, he ends up triggering the alarm to this. If you try to forcibly open the door, an alarm will sound that can be heard on the 14th, 15th, and first floor of the hotel. This is important context for what he was to discover. So 
He disables the alarm and he ends up making his way up to the rooftop where there are the four cylinders which supply water to the hotel. So he ends up making his way over to the water towers and he notices that the latch of one of them is open. There's been a lot of discrepancies with reporting and I think a lot of sensationalism has stated that the lid was closed. It was not and that's important context. So he makes his way over to that water tower, has to make his way up to, you know, eight feet above it, which is where it's at, gets on top. And when he looks inside, he sees the two-week-old remains of Elisa Lamb floating in the tank, face up. She was found swollen and decomposed, and her clothes had been removed and were floating in the tank beside her. On this day, February 19th, the body of Elisa Lamb is officially found in what would become one of the most unusual circumstances of death of the 21st century. But this is when things start to get even more interesting about this case. The water tank is subsequently drained and then cut open to properly remove her body from it, and then the body is brought over for autopsy and examination. But just a couple of days later, the findings of the medical examiner were even more unnerving. Elisa's death was found to be an accidental drowning, but it didn't really account for the unusual circumstances that could explain how exactly she ended up in the water tank, or why, or what exactly was going on in the elevator footage. They completed a tox screen of the body, which found no recreational drugs in her body. They did find ibuprofen, and they also found small traces of alcohol, as well as her prescription medications. So what exactly was going on with her to prompt something like this? Do we really just toss the whole thing up to a mental break, to a sense of psychosis? A weird detail that I found in the medical report was that although the clothing that was seen on her last in the elevator video was found in the water tank and she was completely undressed, the clothing was kind of covered in this uh, kind of grainy or sand-like particles. It doesn't really go into too much detail about what that is or why it was found on her clothing. Maybe it could be the result of decomp, but I just found that to be an odd detail that no one really ever explained in the context of finding her body. But again, tying you know a lot of this back to Elisa's mental state, as well as some of the subjective evidence here, is not as compelling to me as really digging into how she got there in the first place. Like we said, the roof access point was completely locked. Only hotel staff who had key cards could get past that. And even if someone was to kind of you know, jam the door open, there would be an alarm that would sound. But it never did, so how did she even get up there? There was a theory that was tossed around that one of the alternate access points could have been a fire escape, but I don't really know if that theory sits well with me. One, because multiple investigators of the LAPD who were working on the case and were there the day of the search canines said that her trace was never found near the open windows on those floors that would lead to the fire escape. And I also don't know if I can buy that in the context of her falling into a psychosis or experiencing hallucinations that she could safely kind of make her way up multiple levels of a fire escape to the roof if she was seeing things that weren't there. So what exactly happened here? I mean, if we're looking at a lot of this evidence that doesn't add up, we don't know how she got onto the roof, we don't understand why search canines were up there and couldn't trace her scent just about a week prior, and we also couldn't find anything in the body that could suggest that any of this behavior was induced by a substance. There was also no evidence of foul play, there's no evidence of sexual assault, so 
what exactly could have happened here? If we're walking our way through this, somehow, at some point, Elisa makes her way up onto the roof in this sort of state of uh, a mental break or a psychosis, if you will, and then makes her way to the water towers where she can get up. I mean, there is ladder access. A lot of people have sensationalized this and they've said that there isn't. There was. She would have been able to get on top of at least one of them and then maybe hop or make her way over to the water tower where she would lift the latch, which was about 20 pounds, heavy but doable, and then dive in just kind of in a state of hysteria. I can approach this story again and again from a rational perspective, and a lot of it I can piece together, but there will always be elements of this case that don't make sense to me. I mean, the situation with the roof access is just unusual. It's, it's kind of unexplained, and no one has ever really been able to give a concrete answer on that. But also, when they did have access to the roof about a week prior, the dog never picking up her scent, or why we received final footage of Elisa that was edited. What was taken out of that? Why? Why would they deliberately cover up a timestamp? Although the death was eventually ruled as this sort of horrific accident, it's surprising to me because the death itself has been kind of magnified in pop culture and it's faced such intensive scrutiny that I find it interesting that people are still unnerved by the story. It's really a case that's been run through the ringer of us you know, looking back and figuring out what those final days were like leading up to this unusual series of events. and why we still feel like we don't have concrete answers to the end of Elisa's life. It very well may have been that Elisa Lam was simply suffering from a mental health issue, and this resulted in a series of unusual behaviors and decisions that led her to go to the water towers on the roof somehow, but I think it would be dishonest for me to sit here and agree that I think that's the only element to this story. I truthfully think that if it was, we would have had all of our answers a long time ago, and we wouldn't be retelling it years and years later. And I don't know if we'll ever have the finite answer as to what exactly happened to Elisa Lamb. Could it have been somebody she knew? Could it have been somebody she met? Could it have been somebody who worked in the hotel? And is there a piece to this that we've never covered, or a piece that we have never heard of? Does the Cecil itself know something that we don't? I have no idea. But I, I find it unusual that we're still asking the question so far out from when the case was finally closed. All right, that is all for now. Just make sure to leave a comment below and talk to me a little bit about this case. I would love to hear your theories about the Elisa Lamb story. And I, I really do think that it's, it's interesting to retell this and kind of rehash it years and years down the line. And I, I really never get tired of it because I like to focus in, and I tried to give a really concise overview of the concrete evidence because it's the most compelling piece to this because it's tangible yet still doesn't explain what exactly happened. And of course, as always, you can leave comments below and you can suggest different stories and cases and pictures that you want me to cover. I am happy to check those and I always, always consider them for coverage. And I will catch you on another Creep Time.